The reading today is from John 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins and their sins are forgiven, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hand, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in you, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing passage, this amazing encounter. Firstly, between your disciples and you in your risen body. And then between the one disciple who wasn't there and you the week following. We thank you for this opportunity to be here together and to hear you speak to us. 
Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And open my mouth that I might speak your words, our ears that we might hear you speaking to us, our minds that we might understand what you want to say to us this morning, and our hearts that we might respond with confidence and love. Come, Holy Spirit. Well, Thomas has always been very special to me. To begin with, I was ordained on St. Thomas's Day. Though I've never been quite sure why his day should be in July, now seems a much more appropriate time, just after Easter, Thomas's big moment. When people talk of doubting Thomas, they often think of him as weak and vacillating, not sure whether to commit himself, indecisive. But I don't think he was like that at all. After being chosen as a a disciple, we only hear Thomas mentioned twice during the time of Jesus' ministry. Once is at the Last Supper to ask a very sensible question. Jesus has just said, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas replies, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Of course, we discover in retrospect that Jesus is talking about the way to the Father. He's talking spiritually. And he's returning to his Father, and he himself is that way. So, of course, they know him. They know the way. But Thomas doesn't understand all that. He he wants to know where Jesus is going now and how how he can stick with him. And I think that's what's going on in Thomas's mind because of the other really telling incident that happens just a couple of weeks beforehand. It comes in John 11. Jesus has taken his disciples away from Jerusalem and across the Jordan, and they've been having some time, kind of stepped back from the political situation and time of ministry and a time of preparation for Jesus. And then in John eleven six, we hear that Jesus has received a message that Lazarus, his friend, is sick. Yet when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Verse 16, and then Thomas, called Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. These aren't the words of a vacillating, indecisive man, but of a committed and faithful follower. Someone who has counted the cost and is ready to stick with Jesus through thick and thin. Which is why... I understand that Thomas's words at the Last Supper were a puzzled request for clarification as to what the next step would be. I warm to that too. There is something about his baffled but dogged loyalty which speaks loudly to me as I too struggle to figure out what my Lord wants next 
and how to stick close to him when the future seems dark and obscure. So why is it that Thomas so vehemently rejects the other disciples' testimony that they have seen the Lord? Well, the popular way of understanding Thomas's words these days is that he has asked the questions which we as Western materialists would want to be asked. How can we be sure? How can I be sure? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Other people can believe, but for me, I need proof. And because Thomas holds out for a personal, physical experience of Jesus' resurrection, in effect pinching himself to make sure he is awake, and because Jesus graciously accepts that condition on his belief, we ourselves find it easier to believe. Jesus' promise of blessing for those who believe without seeing is in part fulfilled through Thomas. We find it easier to believe without seeing because Thomas has asked the questions that we wanted to ask. Well, I'm glad of that. I'm glad that many people in our culture have found Thomas's testimony to the resurrection to be the most persuasive of the disciples' testimonies. Glad that God has used his doubting as a compelling witness for a particular culture 2,000 years after the event. Glad that his statement of faith, my Lord and my God, has become the refrain of so many. But I have to say, I'm not convinced that Thomas was a closet materialist 1,800 years before his time. I believe we'd get nearer the mark if we took seriously the fact that Thomas wasn't there. Who knows why he wasn't there in the upper room on Easter Sunday evening. Perhaps he had relatives in Jerusalem. Perhaps he was an introvert and preferred grieving on his own. Perhaps he needed to get out of the city for a couple of days. Perhaps, like Peter, he too discovered he was less courageous than he had thought, and the guilt or shame of that had slowed him up. Perhaps he had to see his bank manager. Who knows? Whatever. He wasn't there. For a week, perhaps, he has lived with the growing excitement of the disciples. Their Lord is risen from the dead and has appeared to them. But not to Thomas. It's not as if you had to be in the upper room for the Lord to appear to you that evening. Other disciples walking away from, G from Jerusalem at about that time had met Jesus, but not Thomas. Why not? Was he deficient in some way? Why them and not him? Did Jesus love him less than them? Had Jesus not even noticed that Thomas wasn't there? Did Thomas mean so little to Jesus? My guess is that Thomas's doubting has nothing to do with lack of faith in Jesus, doubting that Jesus could rise from the dead, but rather it's a projection of his own self-doubt. By consciously rejecting the testimony of the disciples, Thomas is, it seems to me, 
raising defences against his own inner sense of neglect and smallness. Maybe against guilt too. Because having screwed himself up to the point of dying with his Lord, he then ran away. The thing is, Thomas is in fellowship with the disciples. They are his friends. But he's not committed to them. He's committed to Jesus. And it's not their testimony that he needs to hear. It's the testimony of his Lord. He needs Jesus to acknowledge him so that he can acknowledge Jesus. To me, his words are a subconscious cry for recognition. I too am a loyal disciple. I suppose I see that in Thomas because I too have had the experience of being somewhere else when exciting things were happening, when God was moving powerfully. I'm wondering if that was a reflection on me. If as Christians we say we don't believe in chance, presumably that means that God intended us not to be there at the time. Does that make us feel less loved by God, less valuable to him, less significant? I guess it can. Well, I want you to notice two things here. The first is that Thomas doesn't stalk off in a huff, making it hard for Jesus. He joins with the disciples when they meet again that following Sunday. He wants to be there. One of the profound lessons that Jesus has been teaching his disciples over the previous three years was that they belong together. Together, they are his disciples. And Jesus has reminded them all of that only three days before. Love one another as I have loved you. And to Peter he said, when you get up again, strengthen your brothers. And so when they're in trouble, instinctively they turn to each other. And it's to them together that Jesus appears. Now secondly, see how Jesus responds to Thomas. Jesus accepts Thomas's need to be there. And he comes at a time when Thomas is there. How gently Jesus invites Thomas to fulfill Thomas's own conditions of believing. Put your finger here. See my side. Reach out your hand and put it there. See my hands. Stop doubting and believe. Of course, Thomas doesn't actually need to put his finger in, in the nails of Jesus' hands or put his hand in his side. It's enough that his master has come for him, has recognized Thomas' need to be there, has invited him to, to believe, to come on board once more. What relief I hear in those words. My Lord, my Lord, and my God. Well, Perhaps that interpretation is fanciful. But if so, it's not untrue to Jesus' response to his disciples and to us. Most of the recorded encounters with Jesus after his resurrection aren't to do with furthering or buttressing the teaching he's already given them. But it's to do with helping the disciples process the terrible trauma of Good Friday and their part in it. For Mary, it's grief 
For Peter, it's guilt. For Cleopas and his friends, it's confusion and bafflement. For Thomas, perhaps it's doubt. And perhaps it's inadequacy at being left out. Or perhaps too, it's guilt for having run away. And Jesus gently deals with us in the same way. The facts of his death and resurrection speak to the sin and the need of the whole world. And they challenge us to reorient our lives around the saving purposes of God for the world. God so loved the world, John says at the beginning of his gospel, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But in his personal encounter with us, Jesus touches the deepest places in our need, inviting us to fulfill those needs in him so that we can stop our doubting and believe. Curiously, when we're given that freedom, we often find the needs are less important than we had supposed. We no longer need our pound of flesh. We don't need to put our hand in Jesus' side it's enough that Jesus is there, he's talking with us alone, and he's inviting us, even us, to trust him. Because Thomas saw, he believed. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet have believed. And what is that blessing? John the Gospel writer is clear. Right at the end he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is life, Jesus has said just three chapters before at the Last Supper, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Perhaps you're listening today and though you've heard of Jesus and know others who Jesus seems to love, you haven't yet set aside your own doubts to believe in him. Well, why not contact the church and join one of the small alpha groups that's just starting soon? Being with others who have already met with Jesus is a great place to find Jesus stepping into your room and inviting you to believe in him. If, like me, you know you're a faithful disciple, but you feel you're an insignificant one that Jesus hasn't noticed for a while, don't hide yourself away from him. Why not read through John's gospel all the way through in the next few weeks as we preach our way through it? Put yourself into the story and hear your Lord's words to you. And one day soon, you'll find him looking into your eyes, touching your need, and gently speaking your name. Of course, like the disciples, we'll have a whole range of emotional needs between us at this moment. Perhaps like them, you're feeling locked in the fear of, locked in for fear of the dangers that surround you. Or perhaps uh, like the queen, you're grieving the loss of that one person that you have known and loved all your life. 
Perhaps you've lost your job or you've not yet been able to find your first one and you are struggling with a sense of inadequacy and hopelessness. Perhaps you need to be forgiven. The particular combination of needs and emotions that you are feeling will be unique to you. And yet Jesus understands them and he can meet them. He's going to step through the barriers and the defenses that you have raised and at just the right moment, he will let you know that he cares about you. If you will keep your heart open to meet with him, he will meet with you. To share with you the power of his death and resurrection, to conquer the shame and the guilt that you feel and the power and the fear of death that you face. Later, of course, Jesus called those same disciples together and he commissioned them to go to the ends of the world sharing his good news of forgiveness and of life and making disciples of all the nations. And Jesus is calling us as a congregation too to play our part in his transformation of Leamington one soul at a time. But first, he's meeting us at our point of need, letting us, each of us, know that we're not just useful to him, we are so precious that he comes looking for us. And when he's done that and drawn us closer to him and closer to each other, he will certainly send us out together to reach the world in his name. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you have noticed us, that you see our need for you and the particular shape that that need takes. Draw us back amongst our friends. We pray that we may be in a good place, in the right place to meet with you. And then break through our defences and show us how much you care and how our needs are met in you. That we may be ready for your call to serve one another and to live for you. Amen. And so uh, we're going to have our next song of worship.